right, I get to continue us on our series of parables, uh, on the parable of the talents. But before I do, I just wanted to make one comment and, and write this one down. This is the most important thing in the message. I stood up to the challenge. I wore my smoking jacket, like Eric said, even on a day that's 100 degrees, and I can tell you by the end of the sermon it will feel like that. So my challenge to him, and you can give him email encouragements, is to wear a proper pair of pants and <laughs> shoes for his next preaching. I wonder if he could do that. Okay. All right. Got to st- Hey, I, I, I had two brothers. If you think, if you think I'm going to meet a challenge without another challenge, no way. Um, so a lot of us know this parable, right? And I think the common application of it is use your gifts, your abilities, invest them for God's kingdom, or what happens? You lose them. All right, so obviously I was the choice, the the investment guy, the money guy, um, the guy that worked in the business world for this this kind of parable. So, but the interesting thing is, as I dug over the past several weeks uh, into the passage, really learning um, the context of the Scripture, really trying to, to bring it to life, that doesn't even hit the tip of the iceberg. And, and I'll show you in just a bit, but let me open us up in a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you and praise you for your greatness, your goodness. We thank you for the love that you lavished on us, Lord, in sending your Son. We just thank you for the relationship you offer with us. And we just thank you for all the ways you speak to us through parables, through uh, any other other scripture that you use to uh, quicken our hearts and awaken us to your word. We know that Jesus spoke these very words over 2,000 years ago, and yet they're still applicable today. We just ask that you open up the eyes of our understanding, Lord, that we would understand your truth. We just pray for the protection of our student and leaders coming back from the Momentum Conference. I just pray that those lives have been changed and that as they come back to work and school and in their families, that you will not let them remain the same. We just ask that you change their lives, Lord, and we just thank you for the generosity, the support, and the prayers of our family here at Grace Community that made that possible. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Yeah, it's interesting that... Um, Actual modern use of the word talent came from that common understanding. But we'll see that Jesus actually had way more wealth of knowledge uh, to provide to his, his disciples. The first thing I wanted to capture real quick is a review. We know that a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning that Jesus used. He actually used parables in his ministry because of the spiritual deterioration of Israel at the time of his ministry. If you can remember, they were hearing God's word, but they weren't really perceiving it. They were seeing God's work done, but they weren't believing it. So he really spoke in parables often to kind of divide the crowd. There were those that wanted to hear more, and so he would speak in parables, and they would get more out of that. And there were some that didn't want to hear, and so he would speak in parables, and they'd be deaf to the understanding of that. The context of and the setting of this specific parable is very important to understanding the text. Jesus is speaking to his disciples at, on the Mount of Olives, okay, and this is called the Olivet Discourse. That's why it's called the Olivet Discourse. He's speaking specifically to his disciples because in the beginning of Matthew 24, 
he was coming out of the temple area with his disciples, and they were amazed by the beautiful structure of, of the temple, and they were, you know, commenting on how magnificent it was. And that's where he made the prediction, not one stone will be left unturned. So that shocked them, right? As, as I think it would many of us, um, even today. And so they asked him questions like, when is this going to be fulfilled? And what are the signs that we'll know that this is coming? And so he is going to reveal to them two pieces of this. One, what he was saying was there was a short-term fulfillment of this prophecy. And we'll see that in history books, in 70 AD, the Romans came in, destroyed Jerusalem and the temple, and they basically burned the temple to the ground so much that even the gold melted into the cracks of the building. And so when looters came by years later, they pried open every single rock to get the, the remaining gold that was in, in the uh, stones. So his prophecy was fulfilled basically in, in, a, in a short period of time in the immediate sense. But there was a future application of this, okay? Keep in mind, he's about ready to tell them about the tribulation period of time as well as the millennial, and where the millennial kingdom will happen after his return. So he's very much speaking about a future prophecy that hasn't even been fulfilled today, right? So we, it is still future to us today. That's important to understand as we dig into this a little bit more because he closes his Olivet Discourse in, Master, in Matthew 25 with three interconnected parables, okay? And these are interconnected because of the language that's used around them from the beginning and ending of each of the parables. They're all connected in the same context of the time frame. So we're going to start, it, it starts with, and I won't be preaching on this one, you'll be thankful, um, the parable of the ten virgins. That's the first one. It's about um, readiness and watchfulness, Okay, then sandwiched in between is the parable of the talents, which I'll be getting into in a little bit more detail, and then it ends with the parable of the sheep and goat judgment, where the Son of Man comes down and um, after the tribulation and separates the saved from the unsaved into judgment. Okay, so those three are to be taken kind of in, in a context together. They have similar characteristics. There's the main character who leaves and then returns again. There's the principle of inclusion. Everybody's in there together, right? And then an exclusion of characters in the story. And there is the concept of faith is the only criteria for final ending judgment. So that's an important piece too. Okay, now remember in Jesus' life and in his story, basically right after he gets done speaking this prophetic word, in the next chapter, a plot is underway to kill him, right? And to betray him. And two days later, he's turned over into the hands of unbelievers and he's crucified. So understanding this point in Jesus' ministry is really important in understanding the context of this story. Let's dive in. Follow with me on Matthew 25, 14 through 18. For it is just like a man about to go on a journey who called his own slaves and entrusted his possessions to them. He gave, he, to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, each according to his own ability. And he went on his journey. Immediately the one who had received the five talents went and traded with them and gained five more talents. In the same manner, the one who had 
received the two talents gained two more. But he who received the one talent went away and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, to set the context here of the story, we see a couple points. The master gives all the money. He's not asking his slaves to earn something off of their own personal money. So that's an important piece to uh, keep in, in mind. He had two options back then. In this time of telling the story, there was a very robust lending system. So the master in this story could take the money to the bankers, um, come, you know, go on his journey and safely return, and uh, he would get interest for his money. That was his one option. The other option um, that took a little bit more faith in his part is entrusting the money to his servants. He would entrust them with the money so that they would invest it, okay, becoming partners in his business. And then they would come, and when he would come back, there would be some amount of return. So it's really important to understand that he was essentially wanting to make them partners by, by taking this course of action. Now, the distribution of the talents is, you know, often talked about. It's it, a talent, as I, as I mentioned, you know, before we know this story, it's actually a unit of measurement. So in this story, the, the scholars believe it's roughly 70 pounds of weight, and the currency is believed to be silver. So this would be about silver, uh, 70 pounds of silver, and that roughly equates to half a million dollars in today's dollars, and about 20 years' wages for the common person uh, of that day. So it's a, it's a considerable amount of money, um, especially the guy that received five. Um, however, it's interesting, by the end of the story, you'll realize the point that the, the amount and distribution is almost irrelevant to the whole story. It really has very little significance. Now, the good servants both are repeated in emphasis. So they're the same character, but they're repeated twice for emphasis, okay? And to further single out the, the other character. They both immediately went and traded with them. Now, don't, uh, don't get lost in the words and, 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 the, and how short the summary is. They, it, this wasn't a one-day venture, okay? You don't, you know, take two and a half million dollars and double it in one day. This implication here in the word usage, if you study it in its Greek, you understand that this meant they were actively trading over time. They were actively investing in businesses. They were looking at, you know, harvest patterns. They were trading with foreign traders. They were investing over time, okay, taking risks to get that sizable of amount of return. I mean, think of how difficult it would be for us to double your money. So this was effort for, the, for those good servants. The bad servant went and dug a hole in the ground. And as we heard last week, if you were here, um, it was not too uncommon in those days to bury treasures, okay? And that was a safe option. In fact, as I read this more, the story really comes alive when you realize that it was more difficult of a choice for him than if he just took it to the bankers, okay? So follow me. If he took the money to the bankers... He, you know, takes a wheelbarrow, takes 70 pounds of silver up to the bankers. They kept the money safe. They invested the money however they did, and he would get the interest when the master returned. And he would probably, you know, have a nice uh, vacation um, and, you know, get to maybe even do some personal endeavors to earn his own money. But he chose to take the 70 pounds of silver, 
find a secure location, weatherproof the silver, because he didn't know how much time uh, would lapse and he didn't want to destroy the, the wealth. And he would have to have buried a proper hole and then vigilantly looked after that money so that no thieves would come and find it, right? So he had to do that for an unknown amount of time. So why in the world would he take the extra effort to do the harder thing? Well, we'll find out. So at this point, the disciples are thinking, all right, so he's the safe guy, right? You know, like doesn't want to risk a lot of money. They would understand that until Jesus continues the story. Let's, let's keep going on in verses 19 through 25. After a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. To the one who had received the five talents came up and brought five more talents, saying, Master, you have entrusted five talents to me. See, I have gained five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Also, the one who had received the two talents came up and said, Master, you entrusted two talents to me. See, I have gained two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And the one who had received the one talent came up and said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. And I was afraid, and I went and I hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. Okay, so a quick aside here. Two things I want to call your attention to is, one, both of the good servants were ready. They were ready at all times. They were ready for their master's return, and they both received the same commendation and reward. The bad servant. You can already see it here. He's making an excuse. Why? Why is he making that excuse, and what's he covering up? This part of the story or the parable is really a pivot point. It's where Jesus takes the earthly story, and all of a sudden he transcends it to a spiritual meaning. This is where the listeners need to pay attention. Let's continue. Verse 26, but his master answered and said to him, you wicked, lazy slave, you knew that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have put my money in the bank, and on my arrival, I would have received my money back with interest. Therefore, take away the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten. For to everyone who has, more shall be given, and he will have an abundance." But from the one who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away. Throw out the worthless slave into outer darkness in that place. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So the judgment comes here. First thing I want you to understand in this context is the judgment is rendered on faith in action. It's faith in action, okay? The master's not worried about the return. He says it to the third slave. This is where it's interesting. He says, I would have just taken interest. It would have taken no effort at all for him other than to have faith in the master and march it over to the bank. And he would have just taken the interest, he said. So that is really what the master's angry about, he's concerned about. Now, the good slaves receive the same commendation. And I want to draw this out a little bit. They get the commendation of, well done, good and faithful slave, enter into the joy of your master. 
I mean, how many of us often think, like, that is what I want to hear when I walk into heaven, right? I hope to hear that myself. And this concept here in this story about enter into the joy of your master would have implied that they were now, instead of being slaves, they are free. They are partners with the master. They are in unison with the master with a deep relationship, okay? So this is a really important point. The relationship was what they gained here. It wasn't a monetary reward. It was the relationship. The bad servant, few things to clarify that get, that get a little contorted in this story is, one, the master's not admitting to the accusation. Keep in mind, he gave the money to the slave to invest. He's not reaping where he did not sow. He's calling him out on a lie. Okay? That's, that's the key part. He's using his own words against him. The third slave, he was not a bad slave in the sense that he wasted his money, right? He didn't waste the money. It was all there when the master returned, every last red cent. I'm sure he counted it. So the context of this story we said before is doom and gloom, the end of, of, of Christ's uh, millennial, or um, his earthly ministry here, right? And so there's uncertainty and tension. And I want to draw your attention quickly to an illustration. In 2014, near the Tel Aviv um, highway near Jerusalem, they, uh, archaeologists uncovered 114 bronze Jewish coins. They were weatherproofed in a ceramic box, and they were buried for safekeeping. They were able to date the coins back to 70 AD, which is exactly the same time I mentioned about um, the Romans coming in and destroying the temple. So this person was worried about the times. He found the safest thing to do is to bury the money because when things blew over, he wanted to come back and get the money right? He didn't want someone to loot it or to lose it in the midst of, of this uncertain time. So, and, and in his case, he never returned for it, and we get to have a story about that. But um, in this parable, the important context here is that this bad servant actually had no faith in the master. He didn't believe he was going to return. He thought in the midst of these uncertain times, he was going to bury the money, go out of his way, so that when the master didn't return, he could keep it for himself, okay? He was rejecting that relationship that the master was offering to him, and he had no faith whatsoever that he would return. In fact, he knew that if he recorded the money at the bank, if he had taken it to the bank, they would have legally recorded it under the master's name. So if the master never made it back, the money would have gone to his, his uh, descendants, and the slave could never get his hands on the money. So that's an important context. It's a complete rejection of that relationship. Now, the good soldiers obviously had a lot of faith in the return of their master. They were out in the midst of probably a very tumultuous time, being economically savvy, being risk-takers, brave and loyal, and, and it paid off, right? So when the master returned, the servant was caught, right? He was caught for the faithless coward that he was, and what was his judgment? We can see from the use and terms that the master uses here at the end, throw him out in the darkness, um, in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is eternal punishment, eternal damnation, separation, right? And there is no second chances. This is very similar um, to many other parables and many other stories. There comes a point where there's no second chance, and in this case, this is the end. 
So how do we apply this then? Well, there's, there's two groups, and I don't know the hearts of anyone in here. Um, only God knows their, your heart. So if you have not accepted Christ as your Savior, right, then you're in the one camp, and you can learn that this is a gospel message. This is the free gift of salvation, and all it takes is a free response, right? He's done all the work for us. I think of the other parables. Um, you know, the many, many of us know the prodigal son. He returns in an act of faith. All he did was show up, and he got a party and the fatted calf and new clothes. All he did was show up. We've got the, the wedding attendants who just believed the king's offer and accepted his robes and had the party, right? They, they just showed up. They trusted. Or the laborers who, you know, came in the 11th hour and received a full wage. My kids think that one's crazy. I try to pay them that way too for yard work. It doesn't work. Um, but it's this outrageous theme of the gospel that, that we who do not deserve would be given a free gift, okay? Now, what's, what's crazy to me, and I, I, I mean, I've heard it all. I, I've been in the business world for 17 years, and people look at me crazy, and I have in-laws who do not believe in Christ. And what, what unbelievers continue to look at in these stories is the judgment, the judgment. How can a loving God send people to hell? How can he? They miss the whole story, right? This God of ours does not want anyone to perish, okay? Do you see from this story that he's a good God? He's a loving God. His character, he wants us to share in his joy. He wants us to enter into that, and he can satisfy us here on earth more than anything else can, right? Relationships, money, you know, fun, those of us that are addicted to fun and want to have a good time, it, it's so much more than that. You're, you'd miss out on the whole reason you were created, okay? So if you have not accepted Christ as your Savior, please see someone today. We don't want you to leave here without hearing the good news. I think of a quote that my wife, who's much more literary than me, um, always likes. C.S. Lewis, for those of you who are fans, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. We are far too easily pleased. Now, if you are saved, boy, is there an application here, right? We can look at the character of the master. He's the same character. He's the same God we serve. We can look at his expectations and what he rewards, right? We, we, we know the character of our master, and we can see the actions of the good servants. Who are they? They're us. We are the good servants. We have that permanent relationship. We are partners with the master. So what did he intend for them? What does he intend for you? He expects you to take risk. He expects you to take risk. We live in a risk-averse society, spiritually speaking. Trust me. Don't rock the boat. Be a good person. Mow your uh, neighbor's lawn. Um, it doesn't have to be that everybody abandons ship and goes into the ministry. 
I, I chose that option, but <laughs> some people thought I was crazy. But it is your own story, right? It's your own, what, what, can, what can God do in your life to change others? He gave them all they had. This wasn't their money. He gives you all that you have. And he wants a relationship with you. He wanted a relationship with them. I can't imagine why. The, the God of this universe who doesn't need anything wants a relationship with me. He wants my heart. Now, what did that motivate the good servants to do and what should that motivate us? They knew the master's intentions and they acted immediately. Okay? They didn't wait, you know. And, and, and I, I think, unfortunately, in my, my story, if, you, if I ever have a chance to tell you, I waited for like two years knowing there was this call and just kind of didn't, didn't want to didn't want to do it. Didn't want to take the risk. Um, didn't want to put both feet in, just a toe. Just a toe, maybe an ankle. Um, he, they trusted the master and took those risks. They trusted him. They trusted his intention. They knew that if they lost the money in, in certain things, they, they knew the love of the master and the purpose. And they were ready at all times. This makes me remember... I, I, just, I grew up with a father who really liked prophecy, and he would remind us, Christ is coming at any moment. Christ is coming at any moment. Are you ready? We'd say, yes, but can it be after we go to the beach? And he, he would look at us like, guys, you're missing it. You're missing it. But anyway, he's coming. He is coming again. Just like the warning um, of the second coming of Christ to the people in the tribulation, the rapture is going to occur. It will occur. It, it reminds me of the process of selling a house. How many have fond memories of that? I, I can't get the scars out of my brain. And uh, Terry Lascola was in our audience last time, so I, she was my counselor through, through it all. Um, but you'll know the term show ready. Show ready. I hated that term, show ready. But you have to stage your house. You have to clean it. My wife made me put all of my toiletries and even my soap in the shower in the little box under the, uh, under the vanity. I couldn't even, like every time I jumped in the shower, I'd forget, oh, I have no soap or anything in here. But that was the way we had to stage it. It had to be show ready. It had to be clean. We had our three little uh, soldiers marching out every morning for school, and they knew what show ready meant. They tucked their beds in. They, they had everything perfect. So what happens three months in? Six months. Now nine months. Sorry, Brother Amir. Nine months. Um, what happens? You lose sight of what the goal really is, right? To be done with the old and enter into the new. You forget what the true purpose of why you went through all this craziness for the first place. And you start to get sloppy. You start to get lazy, it doesn't have to look like anything really that bad, right? It's easy to be a good person in our society, but we get lazy and sloppy. Are you ready? Are you ready for that return to live as who you are? A couple of key points, and I'll close this out in prayer. So I, I like to look at the main principles here for the good servants. All who are saved will return some amount of profit for the Lord. It doesn't matter how much. I, I, I hope you want to make it the most, but you, if you're saved, that's a one-time permanent thing, and you will return 
a prophet for the Lord. Number two, as I mentioned, they receive the same reward. It's salvation. Once and for all eternal salvation. Thank goodness, because I deserve to lose it every day. Okay? But this is forever. This is a forever thing. The third is that they are entrusted with greater things. And the only differentiation for us and for them is how many greater things. And that is based on your faithfulness here on earth. Okay? Let me remind you with a couple uh, verses from Paul. 2 Corinthians 5.10 For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may recompense for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. This is the Bema Seat judgment. This is the believer's judgment. It's not about your eternal security. This is about whether or not you built for the kingdom with the precious metals instead of the wood, stubble, and hay. 2 Timothy 4, 8. In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. To all who have loved his appearing. That could be you. So, your challenge before you leave here. I don't want you to walk out of here without hearing the specific challenge. One, are you truly understanding the master's heart? Do you truly understand that all he has given you is his? It's not yours. He wants you to take risks for his kingdom. And it's a get-to thing. It's not a have-to thing, right? We're not volunteers here at this church. We are partners in God's ministry. He wants you to get the opportunity to support his work through your money, through your time, through your efforts. He wants you to have the opportunity, and you get to have the opportunity to love others like he loves you, to forgive others as he's forgiven you. You get to. Do you understand that these really are just a few things? Or have you started to believe those lies that like, this is all there is, guys. You know, the master's not coming back. Let's live for today. And have you set your mind on the relationship with your creator, the relationship he wants to have? Because if you haven't invested in that, You've got to start doing that now. That's what you are here for, okay? Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you and praise you for your active word, Lord. Your gospel is alive and at work and fruitful, constantly bearing fruit and increasing, even as it has done in us. Lord, we ask that no one will walk away here the same. In some way, Lord, Have your words penetrate their hearts. Have it encourage them throughout the week that they would, if they don't have a relationship with you, come to you, run to you, Lord. You're running to them. They will accept your gift of salvation. And for those of us that are saved, that we can always be spurred on to godly living and risk-taking for your kingdom to look like fools in the mind of the world. Just ask that you change us, Lord. Show us your power. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you for joining us here and uh, really appreciate that you've come to worship with us. We hope you come back next week. One final encouragement, and I, I've been in your seats. I've spent 17 years coming on Sundays and really getting encouraged and filled up and okay, you took something and you love it and then Monday hits. 
and it all just kind of blurs into that monotonous cycle again, right? Don't believe the lies. You've got to wake up. You've got to spend time in your word. You've got to make that relationship real and remember the importance that the king is coming back. And he's coming back for you, okay? Let's close in prayer. Lord, we thank you so much that you're coming back for us. And we just can't begin to pay you back for all that you've done and all that you've supplied. And Lord, wake us every morning with that realization that we are new creations in Christ. We are meant for more. We are spiritual. We're to sow for the spiritual, the eternal. Continue to burn that fire within us, Lord, the Holy Spirit to give us the power we need for this week and every other week. We pray this in your precious name. Amen.